Colossians chapter number 1, I'd like to begin reading in verse number 13. I understand we're beginning in the middle of a phrase, but it's speaking about the goodness of God. It's speaking about the working of God in the life of the believer. It's speaking about God the Father when it says in verse 13, "...who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood." even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God. We're speaking of Christ. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that were in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things. By Him, all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. I want to read that phrase again, that in all things. Do you know what all means this morning? I hope that you do. All means all. You can cut it any way you want to cut it. You can make it mean whatever you want to mean. But all means all, that in all things, He, Jesus Christ, might have the preeminence. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you already for the spirit that we felt. I'd ask, Father, that you continue to work in hearts and in lives. Father, I pray that you would move in a mighty way. You knew, Lord, who would be here, who wouldn't be here. You know what each heart needs. Father, I ask that you'd meet those needs through your word and through your spirit. Lord, I confess to you that I'm nothing, Lord. And it's no big confession to you, Lord. You knew that already. But I confess amongst these that I'm I'm nothing. I'm less than the least of all. Father, I just pray that this morning you'd use me not for what I am, but for what I'm not. God, not because I'm something, but because I'm nothing. And you'll receive the glory this morning, Lord. Father, we love you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. That word preeminence is pretty fascinating. It's not a word that we use very often today. I believe our language is being dumbed down, don't you? Uh, Most young people wouldn't know what preeminent means, but everybody knows what lol means. Somebody say amen right there. We all know what lol means, and we live in a texting world. But that word preeminent is very, very fascinating. Uh, The word preeminent means to be before, both in rank and in position, in chronology. It means to be first, to be before all other things. Certainly our text bears that out when it says in verse number 17, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Can I make a simple statement to you this morning? And let it be the motto, and let it be the theme of Wall Ridge Baptist Church. It's all about Jesus Christ this morning. And if your life is not all about Jesus Christ, your life is meaningless. Your life will bear no fruit. Now, it's not enough to be somewhat about Jesus Christ. You must be all about Jesus Christ if you're going to be in the will of God. You know, I think it's just high time that preachers got back down to preaching the Word of God and not cutting any slack and not pulling any punches. We seem to believe we can serve Christ half-heartedly and be in the will of God. Neighbor, you can't any more serve God halfway and be in the will of God than you could serve the devil and be in the will of God. It's either all about Him, all in, a hundred percent, lock, stock, and barrel, or you're not really mean in business about this thing of serving Jesus Christ. 
The Bible uses this term preeminence. And can I give you a word that I'd like to contrast to it and that I'd like to draw a differentiating aspect to? And that is the word prominent. Can I say that in many churches, Christ is prominent, but He's not preeminent? Can I say that in a lot of Christians' lives, Christ is prominent, but He's not preeminent? You say, what do you mean, preacher? I mean this. I mean to be prominent means to be important. To be preeminent means to be the most important. Now, I understand where we're at, neighbor. We're in the Bible Belt. We're probably on the buckle of it, neighbor. I I understand that. I understand that you're here Sunday morning. You could be anywhere else you want to be. Probably there wouldn't be anyone fault you if you was anywhere else. Uh, There'd be no one look cross-eyed at you, I would say. Uh, You've chosen to be in church. I understand that. And I I praise that. I I think that's a wonderful thing. I think it's wonderful when God's people come together to worship. I understand there's a lot of people that aren't here that could be, and you're here, so I'm not going to preach a message at them. Somebody say, Amen right there. But can I say this morning that there's a lot of Christians, you're here this morning because he's prominent. But that doesn't mean that he's preeminent. You're here because he's important. But that doesn't mean you're here because he's the most important thing to you. There's a difference. You see, we love Jesus Christ. The question is, do we love him most? We serve Jesus Christ. Most of us, the question is, do we serve him unconditionally? We think he's important. We obey Jesus Christ. But let me ask you this. Do we obey Him above all others, including our own will and our own flesh? The Bible says that Jesus Christ is preeminent. Can I propose to you this morning that He is preeminent in God's consideration this morning? He is preeminent in God's consideration this morning. As far as God's concerned, it's all about Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says that all judgment is committed under the Son that unto Him be the power and the glory and the dominion forever and ever. It's all about Him. You go to the book of Revelation and you read and you'll find that it's not about your loved ones. And it's not about you. It's all about Him. You say, preacher, are you saying my loved ones ain't going to be there? No, I hope they're there. I'm sure they probably, if they put their faith in Jesus Christ, I guarantee you they'll be there. But heaven ain't about your loved ones. Heaven's about the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You say, heaven's wonderful, going to have a a street of gold. Well, you know, yeah, that's beautiful, but it's not about a street of gold. It's about a lamb that was slain. You say, heaven's going to be wonderful. Twelve gates, each made out of a pearl, what we call those pearly gates. Heaven's not about pearly gates. It's about the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It's his throne. It's his dominion. He's the one that the uh, the elders gather around and cry out, holy, 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 holy. He's the one that all the attention is on. In God's consideration, Jesus Christ is, present tense, preeminent. Can I say that uh, for the Christian, Jesus Christ should be preeminent? He should be. There is nothing in your life more important than Jesus Christ, whether you recognize that or not. And there's absolutely nothing that should dethrone Jesus Christ in your life. Can I say that any clearer? There's nothing that should dethrone Jesus Christ in your life. I don't care if it's family, they shouldn't be more important than Christ. I don't care if it's your spouse. Your spouse should not be more important than Jesus Christ. I don't care if it's your own fleshly desires. Uh, And listen, we all make excuses, don't we? And we can say, well, I just can't help it. No, God didn't put you in a position where you had to sin. You could help it. You chose your sin above Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ ought to be more important than your sin. Jesus Christ ought to be more important than your job. Sometimes it's good to throw that out there and just listen to see where it plops. Amen? Jesus Christ ought to be more important than your friends. Jesus Christ ought to be more important than the relationships in your life. I don't care what it is. Jesus Christ ought to have the preeminence in your life. But can I say that Jesus Christ is going to be preeminent in God's kingdom? 
He is preeminent in God's consideration. He should be preeminent in God's children, but he will be preeminent in God's kingdom. There's coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. There's coming a day, like it or not, we will confess him Lord of glory and Lord of all. And we won't just confess it that day with our lips either, neighbor. We're going to confess it with our life. Either those that have rejected Jesus Christ will confess it as their uh, life is taken from them and they're cast into eternal darkness. Or those that have lived for Jesus Christ will continue to proclaim it through their life and the testimony of it. We will all proclaim Jesus Christ Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to give you three things this morning. And I, I'm just going to try to hurry. We know how that goes, don't we? I want to say first off a word about the rank of preeminence. Look in our text. I want to say that there's about five ways that Jesus Christ is preeminent in our text. Let's just read them together. Look at verse number 15. The Bible says of Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Don't let that language trip you up. That's not saying that Jesus Christ was a created creature, but what it's merely saying is that before any creature was created, He was. He is the life spring. He is the root. He is the foundation. Uh, do you know, and this is so simple, Brother Rapp, a lot of people miss this. You know, the Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse 1, In the beginning was the Word of God, and the Word was made flesh, and the, uh, the Word was with God, and the Word was made flesh, in verse 14, and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld His glory, like as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word of God was there in the beginning. Verse 14 denotes that the Word of God is synonymous with Jesus Christ. How did God create? this world. He said, let there be. He spoke it into existence. It was from the eternal soul of God the Father that the creative act was uh, birthed. It was through the uh, effectual life-giving power of the Spirit of God that it was exercised. But listen, it was through the Word of God that it was applied, the Son of God. It was applied through Him. It was exercised through Him. It was given through Him. And I believe because He's the Creator of this world, Brother Ralph, He ought to have the preeminence. Don't you? How many of y'all had parents? couple. A few of you came in on space pods and hatched. A few of you had parents. You probably heard them say something like this. I brought you into this world. I can take you out of this world. You probably heard that a few times. If it was ever exercised, that's why these people ain't here today, Ralph. <laughs> they pushed, you know. The, the fact of the matter is, you know what they're saying? They're saying, I brought you into this world. I have dominion over you. Do you know that Jesus Christ, even creation, even inanimate creation, recognizes the Creator better than animate man? What happened? Christ walked out onto the sea, and it was raging. And you know what his disciples said? His disciples said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? You know what they were saying? You don't care about us. You don't care about us. Instead of giving him the preeminence, you know what the right thing would have been to say? Brother Ralph, the right thing would have been to say, Lord, I trust that if you want us out of this storm, you'll take us out of it. And if it's your will that we perish in this storm, I want your will. That would have been the right thing to say. Instead, they said, carest thou not that we perish? But you know what the waves did when the Lord spoke to them? He walked out and he lifted that hand. And he said, peace, be still. And the waves just laid right down. You know why that is? Because he's the creator. He's the creator. I mean, when he raised that hand, you know what them waves said? Said, whoo, I recognize that hand. That was the hand that measured us out. I recognize that hand. That's the hand of the one that created this world. 
That's the hand of the one that grabbed all of everything and stepped out into darkness and flung it across nothing and created this world. That's the Creator. We ought to obey Him. He's given preeminence because He's the Creator. I want you to notice a second thing. First off, notice uh, He has the rank of preeminence as the Creator of the world. Look at verse 14. The Bible says, "...in whom we have redemption through His blood." even the forgiveness of sins. He has preeminence because He's the Creator of the world, but because He's the Captain of our salvation. He saved you. He saved you. Do you get that this morning? You you know what scares me? And don't get me wrong, church. I'm not saying that everyone that's born again is always going to do right. I know way too many Baptists to believe that. But I'll say this. It bothers me, people that live in a continual state of disobedience makes me wonder if they think they don't belong to the Lord. I think we owe Him our life. We beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. The mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You know, He ought to have preeminence, not prominence in your life. Not one of many, but your one and all. He'll have preeminence in your life because He bought you and paid for you and saved you. In whom we have, it's interesting that it does not say in whom we have justification. Now, that'd be true. That'd be true. And it does not say in whom we have adoption or sanctification. All that would be true. But it's interesting it says in whom we have redemption. You know what that word redemption has the idea of, of buying something back. Something that was in default. How many of you is in default when the Lord found you? How many of you is bankrupt when God found you? You quit pretending. In fact, you know what? I know every one of you was because until you quit pretending that you got things under control, you're never going to get saved. Got to the place. You'd filed chapter 11 on your spirituality. And Jesus Christ came along by His blood and bought and paid for your title deed. Paid for you and redeemed you. I think He ought to have the preeminence in our life because of that, don't you? I think He ought to have the preeminence in our life because of that. I mean, somebody buys you out, you belong to them. I think he ought to have the preeminence because he's the creator of the world, because he's the captain of our salvation. I want you to notice another thought. Look with me at verse number 15 once again. Look at the first phrase, who is the image of the invisible God. I think he ought to have preeminence because he's the incarnate God. Do you know that Jesus Christ was not just a good man, but he was the God man? He was not just a righteous man, but he was the righteousness of God embodied. He was not just a good teacher. He was the Word. He was the subject. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. In the flesh. I believe He has preeminence because of that, don't you? Because I don't know of any other world system, and I call it a world system, Ralph, not a religious system, because that word religion is usually used in a negative connotation, but, but one time in the book of James it uses it in a good connotation, and I just don't like for people to take Bible words and rearrange them and make them mean something different. So I'm going to call it a world system, I'm going to say, Islam's God wouldn't have done that. Allah wouldn't have done that. Allah would not have left the moon, which he's... That's dumb, isn't it? You ever stop and think, that's dumb. He wouldn't have left the moon that he supposedly lived. Why not a bigger planet? I mean, if God could choose any planet, he chose the moon of another planet. That's just dumb, isn't it, neighbor? Listen, this may not really be preaching material, but I think it's worth saying. I think I think part of preaching is pointing out stupidity. Somebody say amen right there. I, that's dumb. I mean, that is stupid. 
Allah wouldn't have left his palaces or whatever he lives on, his spaceships, and, and come to this earth to die for Muslims. The Virgin Mary wouldn't have done it. Joseph Smith wouldn't have done it. Buddha wouldn't have done it. The fact is, the very thought that God loved us enough and would sacrifice all that He is and all that He has to come to this earth and to dwell amongst men. It behooved Him, the Bible says, to be made like unto His brethren. The fact that He'd walk in flesh like you and me. I think that says something about His love for us, don't you? I think He ought to have the pre... Not the prominence, Ralph. The preeminence in our life. He ought to be the most important because He was willing to do that. Look with me again at verse 17. The Bible says, thrones, principalities, dominions. I think he has the preeminence not only because he's the creator of the world, not only because he's the captain of our salvation, not only because he is the incarnate God, but because he's the king of kings, lord of lords. There'll come a day when all knees shall bow. It's already been said, but I'll say it again. There'll come a day when all knees shall bow. Smart man was once famous for saying that treason, Ralph, is really just a matter of dates. Isn't that correct? Treason is really just a matter of dates. In other words, uh, if uh, you had committed treason in the 1600s and sided with America in this country, that would have been considered treason. Now, you do it in the 1800s, that's considered being a patriot, correct? So what are we saying? We're really saying there's something to be said for being on the winning side. The winning side. There's something to be said for that. Can I tell you that what's considered high treason to this world today? One of these days is going to be considered allegiance in this world to the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. <laughs> Some of you are afraid of being called a fanatic. You don't have to admit that. I know it's true. Some of you are afraid if you start drawing a hard line about living for Jesus Christ, someone's going to call you a fanatic. You know what that's the world doing? That's the world calling you a traitor. That's the world calling you a traitor. Saying you're going against the grain. You're walking against the concepts of reality and of this society. You're a traitor to the world. I'd rather be a traitor to the world, wouldn't you? Because treason is really just a matter of dates, Ralph. And you and I, brother, we're eternal. We're, we're eternal. We've been born again and washed in His blood. And we're saved everlastingly. So they may be running things now. But my king's coming back. When he does, I'm going to be happy that I gave him the preeminence in my life. I'm going to be happy that he was the most important thing. Not one important thing. The most important thing in my life. I want you to notice a final thing. The Bible says he is the head of the body. The church. I believe he has preeminence because he is the chief shepherd of the church. He's what this is all about. Listen, I want to say this as kind as I can. I'm not good at that, but I'm going to try to say this as kind as I can. I think it's time Christians quit him hawing around and get serious about God. You say, preacher, of course you do. You preach it. No, let me make it clear. I think it's time we get more serious about God than anything else in our lives. I think we ought to get serious enough uh, about God that excuses aren't good enough anymore. I think we ought to get serious enough about God that our desires and our will is not good enough anymore. We've got to have His. I think we ought to get serious enough about God that our approval or the approval of those around us is not sufficient anymore. We've got to have His approval. 
Until we do that, we're playing church. We're just playing church until we get to that place. I want you to notice first off the rank of his preeminence. I, I named five things. I could name 500. You'd get up and leave, but I could name 500. But I want you to notice the right of his preeminence. Why? We've already denoted it, but I'll say it again. Why does he have the right? Because he's the creator of this world. Listen, we're not all God's children, but we're all God's creatures. All of us. I care who you are. You belong to him. The Bible says no man liveth unto himself, no man dieth unto himself. We all live or die unto the Lord. And listen carefully. It doesn't matter what you can trick yourself into believing about your destiny and your fate and your eternal situation. If you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will meet your maker one day. And you will answer for the life that you've lived. That ain't what they teach me. Well, I don't care what they teach you. It's what the Bible teaches. Say, well, I just ain't ready yet. I don't care if you're ready yet or not. That's the truth. And I'd be real careful. Because there's two imminent things right now. One of them is your death. Because you don't know. You don't know. Neighbor, you... You don't know when you're going to die. No man is promised tomorrow. You might walk out of here and one of these crazy Baptists run you over with their car before you even get out of the parking lot. You don't know. Some of you, I've seen the way you drive. It's not just a possibility, it's a probability. But then even beyond that, Lord, take the breath out of your lungs and the blood out of your heart in a moment. You don't know. You don't know when your last moment will be. But let me give you another thing that's imminent. And that's the second coming of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You don't know how much longer you've got. You don't. Make all the plans that you want. But you don't know how much time you've got. And the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. But after this, the judgment. One day you will answer to God. I believe we ought to make him the most important thing in our life. You got me all mixed up. Life, Ralph. Life. I'm going to start doing it like a TV guy. I'm going to have to start sitting around. Life, Ralph. Life, right before I get up and preach. So I don't get that tongue wrapped around my head and tied in a knot. Most important thing in our life. Not one of the most important. The most important thing in our life. I want to give you a second thought, not only because of the rendering of creation. Let's say it that way. It sounds better, Ralph. The rendering of creation. But I would say because of the redemption of the cross. He deserves. He deserves. You're bought and paid for by Him. The old men of God used to preach messages on His God getting what He paid for. We were sitting in Senior Saints and they sang on, on Friday, All of my life was... Just ruin and waste. But I trade it, it all for His grace. You didn't have nothing worth having when the Lord found you. Listen, if we was working off God's economy, we would have never took that deal. Never. Only the love of God could motivate Him to trade His best for your worst. Only the love of God could motivate him to trade his salvation for your sin. Only the love of God could do that because it's unreasonable for him to do that. I mean, God is literally the most unreasonable person in the world. You know that? It don't make any, I can't figure it. He's unreasonable. I can't figure why he would trade all that he has for what, what I have. 
I can't figure why he would send his son to die for... Listen, neighbor, how many of you all ever work on stuff? Build stuff, create stuff. Some of you women, I know you scrapbook. It's an addiction. It's okay. We're starting a class on it soon. Anybody? Anybody? All of our arms got broke all the time. Anybody ever create anything, crafty, make anything? There's my sister. I was about to call her a liar if she didn't raise her hand. Sure you do. Let me ask you something. If you mess something up or something gets messed up, what do you do? You just chuck it in the trash. What kind of sense would it make, Trace? You're a resident scrapbook person. What kind of sense would it make if you made your little page and then one of the kids came over and, and, and dumped ice cream or, I don't know, kids do that, or nuclear waste or something on it, whatever they get their hands on, and how much sense would it make then if you took all the money in your purse, took all of the scrapbook supplies that you had, took everything that you had, took everything, and took it to make that one page new again? All of it. Wouldn't it make a little bit more sense just to throw it away and start over? That's reasonable. Some of you men, you've built stuff before. Furniture, done work in your house. And I'm sure if you're like me, you've messed it up before. And you could have spent a mint trying to do it right. You ever gotten to a money pit before? You could have spent a mint. Some of you own cars like that. You ever owned a car that it would have took three times the price of a new car to get that car back running? You know what you just did? You just took it and you scrapped it or you sold it for whatever you get out of it and you went and bought something new. You, you weren't going to fool with that old mess. I'm thankful he fooled with this old mess. <laughs> I, I'm thankful he didn't throw me away. I, I, I mean, I'm thankful he didn't... Oh, what the old songwriters say, he didn't throw the clay away. I'm thankful that he didn't do that. I'm thankful he didn't look at an insignificant little ten-year-old boy and just say, I don't need him. He could have. He would have been God, just the same. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. He sent the most precious commodity that heaven had to perish and to die for your sins and mine, to redeem us. Neighbor, if that's not love, I don't know what is. I think he deserves the preeminent place in our lives because nobody's ever did anything for you like what Jesus did for you. Your spouse has never done for you what Jesus Christ did for you. Your family has never done for you what Jesus Christ has done for you. Nobody, nothing, nowhere has done anything close to what Jesus Christ has done for you. I think He ought to be the most important, don't you? Let me give you a final thing. Part of the right of His preeminence, especially as it concerns the church, is the resurrection of Christ. He's alive and risen today. Do you know why he has the prominence in the church? Listen carefully. Do you know why he has the prominence and the preeminence in the church rather than the pastor? Because he's alive. Do you know why he has the preeminence in the church rather than even the congregation? Because he's alive. Do you know why he has the preeminence in the church today rather than ecclesiastical leaders or denominations? Because he's alive. Do you know why other religions need ecclesiastical hierarchies? Because <laughs> their God ain't alive. That's why they need that. They have to have all the smoke and mirrors to try to substantiate some type of religion, some type of semblance of relationship. And their adherents can't have a relationship with their God because their God is dead. So they need priests and they need bishops and they need all sorts of ecclesiastical figures to fabricate some kind of relationship. Oh, neighbor, I'm thankful I don't need a priest today. I'm thankful I've got a high priest. I'm thankful he has the preeminence because we can talk to him. We can walk with Him. He'll talk with us. He'll walk with us. 
That's why he has the preeminence. Listen carefully. This place is not a shrine to come and worship the memory of a dead Savior. This is a meeting house to come and meet with the living God of heaven. That's what this place is. That's why it's not about the building. It's not about the... I love our building. It's beautiful. It's clean. It's green. Amen? I like it. I like the color green. Don't judge me. I don't judge you off what your favorite color is. Don't judge me. I like it. I liked it the second I walked in. But hey, listen, it's not about this building. Not about this building. We could gather anywhere and worship God. God would show up in a building half the size. God would show up in a building a quarter of the size. God show up in a building a tenth of the size. Hey, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be. It ain't about that two or three. It's about the other one that shows up. And it ain't about you and me, neighbor. It's about that big one that shows up. It's about the God of heaven that shows up and moves in and shows off and moves in hearts and lives and changes hearts and lives. That's what it's about. And I think He ought to have the preeminence in our church. I think we ought to get to the place where it bothers us more when He doesn't show up than when somebody else doesn't. I think we ought to get to the place where it bothers us when we don't show up because He might show up and we've missed it. I think that's how it ought to be, don't you? I think it ought to be to the place where we say, Oh, i got to get to God's house. God's going to show up and do something. You say, well, He just don't show up in my life. Well, maybe you ain't really showing up. Maybe you're here, but you're not really showing up. You prayed about it? Oh, I know, I expect it to get quiet there. Have you prayed about Were you praying on your way to church this morning, asking God to open your heart and to move and to convict you and to speak to your soul? Were you asking for God to do that? Maybe He hadn't showed up in your heart because you ain't invited Him. I think it's about time we get back to the place where we see this thing as serious business, where we get alone with God, and we meet with God, and where we open our hearts to God and allow God to do a work in our lives. I want to say just a quick word. I'm about out of time. Uh, the Shonies will be getting busy soon. I've got to get out of here. Uh, the, I want to say a word about the relationship of preeminence. What does it look like in a person's life when Christ has the preeminence? I want to say, first off, they have a superior love for the Savior. You know what Christ said to Simon Peter in John chapter 21? In John chapter 21, Peter gave up on ministry. He said, I go a fishing. And he didn't mean I'm going to go down here and spend a couple hours, see if I can. You know, I shot a carp the other day. Richard made fun of me for that. I shot a carp with a bow and arrow. I don't care who thinks that's funny. I'm proud of it. Amen? No, we're not talking about fishing like that. We're not talking about just going down and fishing for a little bit. No, what he was saying is he was saying, I'm going back to the life that I lived before. I'm done with this. I'm done with the Savior. He said he's not going to have preeminence anymore, and he's not even going to have prominence. I'm done with it. Oh, I'm thankful when we pitch a, a, a fit and, and have a temper tantrum. The Lord will meet us out on the sea, don't you? Because they got out there and they got fish, and he took some boys with him. By the way, do you know most of the time when people get sour and pitch a fit, they do their best to take people with them? Isn't that true? And you, you, you better stop and consider, if you're upset about something and you're doing everything you can to get everybody else upset about it, maybe, just maybe, your heart isn't in the right place. He said, well, I'm going, I'm going. And uh, he went out on the sea and he's fishing. Of course, they didn't catch nothing. Because you get out of the will of God and you don't catch anything. You get out of the will of God and you won't do anything for Jesus Christ. So he gets out there and he's fishing. The Lord appears to him on the sea and says, cast on the other side of the boat. And they pull and draw to fish. 153, 153 fishes. And they get to the seashore and they're sitting around they're having fish fry. And and, uh, what's interesting is the Lord looks at Peter and he says this. He says, Simon Peter, 
Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? What did he mean by more than these? Now, some people have said he meant, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? I don't think that's the case. I don't think the Lord ever wants us to pit our love for him against somebody else's love for him. I think that's carnality. I think we ought to just worry about loving the Lord ourselves and let other people learn how to love the Lord on their own. Help them if we can. But if they don't, that's between them and the Lord. And I don't think he was saying, Simon Peter, do you love me more than you love these other men? I don't think that's what he was saying. Those men didn't even know each other until Christ had brought them together. The majority of them hadn't. No, I don't think that's what he was saying. I think the Lord was pointing, pointing to those 153 fishes. And I think he was saying, Simon, do you love me more than you love these fishes? And you say, preacher, that don't make a lot of sense. I mean, how, how could the Lord ask him if he loved a big old pile of dead, stinking fishes? Do you know that's what your ambitions and your will for your life is? Nothing but just a big old rotten pile of flesh. That's all that is. You may think you've got it figured out, but let me tell you something. Until you get things the way the Lord wants them in your life, you're never going to be all right. It ain't nothing. Your best attempts at happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction and righteousness are just a big old piling, stinking, rotten pile of flesh. may have good intentions. It's still flesh. It, it may have good appearance, but it's still flesh. Those fish represented his own independence and his own self-will, his ability to provide for himself and to be his own man. And the Lord looks at Peter and says, Peter... Do you love me more than your independence? You know, independence is a, is a coined word in our society. We're the country of independence. I think that's a good thing politically, but I think that has bled into our theological mindset. We are not independent of God. We are fully dependent upon God if we're in the will of God. Do you love me more than you love these fishes? Do you love me more than you love your independence? Do you love me more than you love your will, Peter? Boy, that's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it, church? I mean, that's when a person, that's when it really gets tough, when they have to decide between their way or God's way. Let me tell you something. Unless you love Him more than anything else in your life, He's not preeminent. If anything else is more important to you in your life, He is not preeminent. It requires a superior love. I want you to know, secondly, a submitted life. You know those, you know what He said, if you love me, Keep my commandments. You can say Jesus Christ. And I see it all the time. i got Facebook. Let me tell you something. People get real, real spiritual on Facebook in public. <laughs> you don't want to see the private messages. But, I mean, and I guess it's because in Facebook, living for Jesus Christ is the equivalent of clicking share or like or something like that. It's not too difficult. And I see all kinds of people that I'll see one picture of them, Ralph, and they'll be kicking back a beer. And now see the next, and they're sharing that they love God. As the old mule driver used to say, I don't gee and haw to me. They'll say, I'll see them on there, and they'll be dressed, and they ain't even got enough clothes to, to, to make a bikini for a gnat. And then the next thing you see, and they're on there, and they're like if you love Jesus. Yeah, it's because it's easy to click a button. A little bit different, change your life. He don't mean anything to you unless you're willing to live for Him. He don't mean anything to you unless you're willing to obey Him. I mean, this is just simple, I know, I know. But it's something I think we all struggle with. A submitted life. 
He's not preeminent until he has the authority. He's not preeminent until he has the authority in your life. You can say you love Him. You can proclaim you love Him. You can wear t-shirts or you can wear hats or you can get on Facebook. You can do anything you want to do. I mean, you can proclaim to the world that I'm a Christian and I love Jesus Christ, but God's not buying it until you hand over the authority to Him. Say, Lord, whatever you want for my life, that's what I want. A submitted life. Let me give you a final thing. A servant's loyalty. servant's loyalty. The Bible says, No man that putteth his hand to the plow and turneth back is worthy of me. Listen carefully, because I want to be explicit about this. Not everybody can serve God in the same way and in the same capacity. It's just impossible. But everybody can serve God. Everybody. In one way or another. Listen carefully to me this morning. This is going to seem harsh. This is going to seem like I'm asking too much of you, but that's because you think I'm asking it of you, and I'm not. It's Jesus Christ. Unless you're doing everything that you can to serve God, you're not in the will of God. Unless you're doing everything you can to serve God, not some things, everything that you can to serve God, you're not in the will of God. You're rebellious and you're disobedient. You say, preacher, are you saying there's never going to be circumstances and situations? And I think we all got enough common sense to know there will be. And I think when we're having that discussion, it's because we're trying to make excuses for our flesh and our apathy and our laziness. I think when it comes right down to it, we know what we can do for Jesus Christ and what we can't do for Jesus Christ. And the reason we make excuses is because we know there's a lot that we could do that we won't do. We just choose not to. The fact of the matter is, until you're doing everything for Jesus Christ you can, He's not got the preeminence. If you're not doing everything for Him, that means you're doing something for somebody else when you could be doing something for Him. Neighbor, I'm not talking about getting out, knocking on doors 12, 14, 16 hours a day. I understand that. But most of us, most of us ought to be ashamed if we even use those analogies because we're not even getting out and doing it 12, 15, 16 minutes a day. Most of us say, well, preacher, you know, I just can't sit around and read my Bible all day. I've got to go to work. Yeah, I understand that. Nobody's talking about all day. Are you willing to give them 15 minutes? Are you willing to give them 20, 30 minutes? People say, well, you know, preacher, I just can't walk around with my head bowed, praying all day. I, I understand that, but the Bible still says you ought to be praying without ceasing. Do you converse with them all day, day in, day out? Do you set aside time to spend with the Lord? Until we get to the place that this thing's real, now listen, I know, I already, Ralph, I already, I already buried a grave, or dug a grave, buried and placed a headstone over this being a shouting service. Ten minutes into it. I know that. I know that. But you know what I found? I found out that usually when people get quiet at the table, it's because they're eating. Some of you, this is hitting home in your lives. Some of you, this is real to you. And right now, you're sitting there trying to decide if you can convince yourself that that's just your nerves instead of the Holy Ghost. But the fact of the matter is, most of us, including this preacher, this hits me where I live. Because I'm going to be honest, there's areas in my life where he ought to be preeminent, and he's just prominent. There's areas in my life where he ought to have all the importance, all of the attention, all of the glory. And in this preacher's life, he only has some of it. I don't know. I don't know what you'll do. But I'll be in the altar. Lord's dealt with me this morning. 
And the fact is, there's areas of my life I need to get straight with the Lord. Area. You say, oh, preacher, you're confessing some. Hey, if I was, you wouldn't know it. <laughs> Somebody say amen right there. No, I'm just saying there's times when he's prominent, Ralph, when he ought to be preeminent. Times when Pastor Weber's given 98% instead of 100. Times when Pastor Weber, when there's things in his life that like to inch above Jesus Christ. And this preacher ain't above it. Flesh and bone. More flesh than bone. But flesh and bone. And some of you, this is hitting you where you live. Let me tell you something. You're going to make a decision here in a moment. You're going to decide whether you want to get some things settled in your life. You're going to make the decision to walk away. I encourage you this morning, don't just make him prominent. Make him preeminent in your heart and in your life.